Folks, welcome to the Sloppy Boys Blowout. We're going to have some fun here. I'm Mike Hanford. I'm here with Jeff Dutton. <laughs> you were waiting for me to say, and yeah. I'm Jeff Dutton. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Dutton. And, and we also got Tim. I am the T-Man. Okay, so it's the three of us. Me, Mike, Jeff. He's me, right me there. Jeff. Tim, me, Jeff. Tim. Yep. Okay, you know, it's uh, we're back. We're back, baby. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Back again. We are, uh, yeah, thanks to the uh, Patrons here who are tuned into the blowout. We love you guys. We thank you so much for joining thank us you. and joining the Patreon. Uh, you're going to have a good one here. We're talking about music. We're talking about film. We're talking about a band called the Bee Gees and a documentary about them. It's where film and music finally meet. Finally. Film, music, and truth. Truth, oh. which you see in, you don't see in a lot of fiction movies, truth. This is a documentary in search of the truth. Well, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you brought up movies. What do you think, which movies do you think are better? Uh, like Marvel, big summer uh, buffoonish type drivel? Mm -hmm. Or do you prefer, like, for example, Truffaut? Ooh, well, I've seen, God, I've seen every Truffaut movie. Uh, we're not, you're not asking me to pick a favorite, right? Don't make me. I would never. Uh, yes, I would never Truff, dream Truffaut as or every time, 10 out of 10. If I asked you to pick one Truffaut favorite, then I would be your Truffaut. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because we can never agree on what Truffaut we love. Tim, I love Truffaut. I, I'm on record as loving Truffaut. Sure. But would it kill him to put Ant-Man in it? <laughs> oh, Jeff! No! I have the opposite thing. Like, um, I was watching um, uh, Avengers, and I thought, Yeah. Why couldn't they have a cameo by Federico Fellini? I know! I know! I know! Well, I was watching Infinity War, and I was like, I was counting. I was like, okay, there's... 400 blows, but somehow it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. I don't know. I yeah. prefer, right, I prefer the black and white, I, artsy crap, people call it, but whatever. We are cinephiles. It, it just means more. Mm-hmm. What, what are we looking at today, Jeff? Today we're looking at The Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? This is the new HBO documentary that everyone loves. Fun doc. The title of this movie was How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Yes. Mm. Where were you? I skipped that part. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know much about the Bee Gees going in. My parents had a couple Bee Gees albums, and we all know uh, Saturday Night Fever. Oh, yeah. Disco came to town. And <laughs> I, I did vaguely know them as being like a band that stuck around a real long while. But um, the doc really digs into their longevity. I knew that that was a fun fact about them. I only knew the disco stuff, but then I would say in conversation, you know, that they have had top 10 hits in four different decades. <laughs> uh, Who'd you say that to? 
No, you're right. Uh, I would say that to pretty much anyone that I saw on the street. Um, uh, so I knew that, that that was a factoid and I knew that, so I knew that there were some different sounds in the mix, but I hadn't heard them, but here's something I'm just realizing right now. The Bee Gees, does it, does it stand for Barry Gibb? I was thinking the same thing, Tim. I don't know. They didn't talk about it. He, well, their mother's name was Barbara Gibb also. So it could be the Barbara Gibbs. Yeah. But if your name's Barry Gibb. You're not going to call, say, BG Barbara Gibbs. And he was older, too, right? He was older than the other two? They all had interesting names. He was old, He was the oldest, uh, the eldest, and also he's the last one standing, so what are you going to say? Ouch. <laughs> you can't step to him. You know, another weird name thing. We're, we're going into uh, kind of weird name things, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'd like to. <laughs> Morris Gibb, his name is spelled Maurice. Yes. Yes. They that- call him Morris. But he's a Brit love. No, he's an Aussie. <laughs> no, no, he he was he grew up in Australia, but he's British. What? Huh? They're all British. They they just grew up in Australia. Well, that was a very funny. Uh, th- are we getting right into it? Can I just dive right in, or do you guys want to dance well, around it? <laughs> hold no on. time better. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, Jeff's got other plans. Let me just let me just read the goddamn. Jeff wants to cough <laughs> for a while. I guess. <laughs> yeah, let's watch Jeff cough. And <laughs> I've then got we twenty get more into coughs. The subject of the episode. Go ahead, Jeff. Here's the movie synopsis from HBO. Directed by acclaimed filmmaker Frank Marshall, Seabiscuit. <laughs> the Bee Gees' How Can You Mend a Broken Heart chronicles the triumphs and hurdles of brothers Barry, Morris, and Robin Gibb, otherwise known as the Bee Gees. The iconic trio who found fame in the 1960s went on to write over 1,000 songs and have 20 number one hits throughout their career, transcending more than five decades of changing tastes and styles. Damn. And it certainly did cover that. All in all, this documentary just kind of goes chronologically through their existence. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's pretty vague in the parts that are like, eh, we had some problems in our between the brothers. And it's pretty, they don't really go into detail of like, I remember one time he threw a whiskey bottle at my head. It's just kind of like, yeah, well, we we had it. didn't get along, but then we did. That's true. Yeah, I wanted to hear like, I remember one time he slathered me in Vegemite, so then I stuffed him into a kangaroo's pouch. Right. But of course, uh, Jeff would say, well, of course, when they were growing up, but they were born, of course, Britain, Britain. Hold on. Now I got to look this fucking shit up. No, hey, whoa, look. whoa. That doesn't mean you had to start swearing and no. getting all tight about Everything it. Everything is F-bomb this and F-bomb that. All I did was I looked up Robin Gibb and, it's, uh, and it said Robin Gibb was an English singer, songwriter, and record producer. He spoke English. Okay, now look up Robin Big. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. They're Tim, funny. You're, trying, you're trying to distract and deflect. And I wouldn't mind if you looked up Robin Hood. <laughs> oh, I'm a somebody from, from Robin Hood. Guys, they're Brits. Somebody they're, from Sherwood Forest. And Barry Gibb is a sir. Sir Barry Allen Crompton Gibb. <laughs> Crompton. He seems like a real nice guy. Barry Gibb's whole hook is that he's nice. They're all nice. They're all like uh, unoffensive, uncool dudes. I love it, though, when, when in the movie when it's like <laughs> Barry and Robin are both so nice, but they're both being like, oh, we were awful to each other. We were mm-hmm. just the worst, meanest, baddest <laughs> dudes. I was surprised to see that they had some Beatles y sort of 60s skiffle type rock shit. Oh man, they sounded so much like the Beatles in those early. 
those early records. <laughs> and some of it was like pre-Beatles. They talk about how like they discovered the Beatles and were like, oh, they're playing shit like we play and they sing three-part harmony like we sing. I don't know. About- I fact-checked that, Jeff, and uh, it was bullshit because they spun that like we were doing our thing and then we watched TV and they were like, hey, look, the Beatles beat us to it. But uh, they their first album came out in like 67 or 68. Yeah. So they, they must have been sitting on it a real long time. Uh, I I feel like there's no shame in being Beatles esque during the '60s. I mean, there's well, they bands talked about now. chasing yeah. the Beatles too. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they, but you know, they had a dad who was a f- kind of a failed rock star. Like a lot of our most famous musicians, like Michael Jackson or whoever, Lady Gaga. Did, 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 did Joe Jackson? Joe Jackson had a bad dad. We all know. I mean, Michael Michael Jackson's dad, Joe Jackson, was a bad dad. We all know. And Joe but, Jackson had a great dad. <laughs> but they were all like failed musicians, right? That's why they pushed their kids to superstardom. That's what you do. The you're, you're, if if your if your daughters are Serena and Venus Williams, it means that you were a bad tennis player yourself. It happened with my dad. He was trying to he, for years was a, a you know played in swing bands all over. Uh, all over town, and then he just couldn't make it. And he said, "All right, Mike, you got to go into music." <laughs> yeah, I have that kind of thing with my dad. Where you, you guys know my dad was the number one world's best ho ho eating champion. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, <laughs> then he had a son, and he was like, "Son, you got to eat more devil dogs than you ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, 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 hey, well, you guys both mentioned we all are on the same page where we knew a little bit about the BGs. We knew the Saturday Night Fever BGs. We were all surprised and impressed with the early stuff. I one time was stuff. in the car and I heard that song "Lonely Days," which I think is great. And I thought it was a. Oh, I, th- I thought you know what I thought? I thought it was a John Lennon solo song. Yeah, man. And I shazammed it, and I had to pull over. I was in. I was such a ghast. That it was a Bee Gees song. <laughs> 405. I'm on the 405 in rush hour. I'm pulling over the side of the road. This movie takes a very kind of defensive take on disco. And I thought, and I enjoyed this film, but but I did think that they were trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too by um, being like, oh, the, you know, the backlash against disco was homophobic and racist, which I believe it was. But then also you have the Bee Gees in talk shows being like, we're not disco. We swear we're not disco. We don't call us yeah. disco. Oh but, man. So, but I wanted to ask you guys just as a groundwork, what is your relationship with disco? Cause I didn't know much about the Bee Gees. I had the Saturday night fever CD, uh, the soundtrack because in the nineties, for some reason I thought disco was so funny and there was a whole thing of like f- the disco was funny yeah. And I, really? I was delighted. I don't know where that comes from, but I was like, that, that's Disco funny. was like campy, I remember. It was, uh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, for me, I came to it via funk, which is, I mean, distinct, I guess. But I remember the, the pure funk compilation. I thought it was funny, but I also loved like Ohio Players and Earth, Wind and & Fire and like all, all that stuff. And I, I, uh, I guess I had a vague idea of Studio 54 and how I wouldn't be invited. <laughs> I, I I feel like I saw, is it Naked Gun 33 and a third when OJ Simpson has a huge afro and can't fit through the door? <laughs> and I remember thinking that was the funniest 
thing ever. And I probably saw that before I knew what Studio 54 was. But I also, to this day, if Studio 54 existed right now, I would be too scared to go because everyone there seems so cool. Disco for me was always like a punchline. Yeah. Uh, and I saw, I saw like people from the 70s making fun of it in the 90s and me just being like, yeah, I don't know, Disco's pointing your finger up to the sky and down to your hip. I guess the time frame, it would be the same as people now making fun of emo, where it was like a subculture music genre that had a moment and it was 20 years ago. Um, but I remember buying, did you ever see a, a series of CDs called Drew's Famous Dance Mixes or whatever? Yeah. No. I, they sold them at Party City and I had a Luau one <laughs> and a, a few different party CDs and one of them was Disco Dance Party. But they were not recorded by the real artists. It, they were really redos. Yeah, oh, that's funny. I was gonna play Disco Duck, and it was the Drews version. So I now I don't want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. But yeah. like, so part of what the movie blames on like oversaturation of disco is the song Disco Duck. Yeah. And you know what? I'm gonna find the real fucking thing because on this podcast we play the real deal. While you're looking for that, I think that maybe. Is it possible that Disco Stew was the first time I heard of Disco? Wow. Very possible. No, you probably saw Airplane before that when they're doing... They play... What's the... Staying Alive. Staying Alive. Hey, you know what I loved? Is it the Fugees or is it just Wyclef that, that sampled that? That's Wyclef. You can tell by the way I roll, Shorty. I'm a ladies' man, a businessman. I love that. <laughs> hey, also, I loved that they showed that the staying alive beat was just night fever, but like slowed down a little bit. That's cool. Oh man, that the was tape loop. That was so funny. The guy went to go like tend to his like Alzheimer's mother or something like that and came back and they looped his drums and it was much better than he could do. That was so funny though, because they were, they were kind of talking about how they kind of figured out out of necessity, mm -hmm. they sort right. of invented a drum loop. But then also that engineer was saying, I learned it at Berkeley school of music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so is that like it, uh, the, the beginning of like hip hop and stuff? Cause if, were they the first people to like loop a drum beat? You would think so based on the documentary, but I feel you would, like... You would think in the documentary if they were like, it was the first time we did uh, looping, and now everyone used... Like, it, they would make a bigger deal. It was it. definitely not. It was the first time somebody of that stature did it and then had like a multi-platinum record maybe, but mm. it was not the first time somebody had done it. Well, even, I mean, Steely Dan was doing it before them, and, and Steely Dan is as un-funk as you can get. But like, uh, the novelty of that of having to do a uh, manual tape loop and you would have to have pulleys and stuff in the studio. I'm sure that everyone, even if they didn't come up with the idea, I'm sure there was 10 years of people just being exhilarated that they were doing it. And it probably felt to them like they were inventing it just because it was such a weird thing to do in your studio. You know what <laughs> I liked about uh, the early Bee Gees? They did a, they had an album called um, New York mining disaster. Yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a cool album name. That's like uh, it doesn't mean anything, but it's funny to me. Remember, weren't we? We wanted to do a, uh, some a birthday boys show called the Seven Man Spaghetti Scam. 
Uh, and then we were trying to work backwards from that title yeah. to be like, what, what is this going to be? <laughs> <laughs> the seven man spaghetti Sam. Damn. It was like, we're doing a heist and we're stealing spaghetti <laughs> for some reason. To what end? All right, guys, I have a disco duck. Great. Queued up. <laughs> I like this bass line. Unfortunately, this is just as good as the BGs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Personally, I think Disco Duck rips. Yeah, nothing wrong with Disco Duck. That's fun. That's great. It is funny, that, like, the, the, the Disco Backlash, like, I think the Bee Gees, because they sort of got huge with, like, you know, made, broke records and stuff with Disco, they got lumped in with Disco, and I think it, like, makes everyone think they're lame, like, as uh, in the aftermath, and it's like, oh, the mm. Bee Gees, that Disco band, but, like, they had a ton of albums and... We're constantly recording stuff and, I don't know, sold yeah. out maybe? They, they almost I, said but, it on the documentary they were selling out. And I did think it was funny that, uh, like, Robin Gibb at one point in an interview was like, he looked a little entitled or fired up and he was like, hey, we existed in the 70s. Is it okay that we exist in the 80s with you? Yeah. These guys were being uh, martyrs in a way that... I like, I, you know, uh, I like the movie and everything, uh, but don't you think that they, in the same way that they kind of act like, oh, we went to Miami and then we came up with drum loops, there's, they're talking about, it's Eric Clapton's idea. They're kind of washed up in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. They've had some 60s Brit rock hits that were part of the British invasion, and then they can't seem to sell any records. And then it's Eric Clapton that says, I just recorded an album in Miami. I think you guys should go to Miami, do the studio. You'll get inspired by what's going on there. When they go there, and I think that's cool as hell, but when in interviews, when they're talking about this, they're describing appropriation when they're like, yeah, there was this new sound in America and we wanted to have an R and B sound. And like <laughs> in this documentary, they're calling in like white engineers and like this guy, like a middle Eastern producer a reef or whatever. Yeah. And they're putting together this team of non-black people to record R and B because they were inspired by R and B. And then it's the same kind of thing with the disco. It's like these dance clubs in Miami like these are gay people that started a culture and that DJ who's talking about it uh, is part of that culture. And then the Bee Gees are like, so we saw that and we got really inspired and they made some great songs. I well, like the Bee Gees songs, but then when, when the backlash happens and then they're like, what's why won't the radio won't play us anymore. <laughs> it's like, I don't think you're, you're the victims. Well, there was something kind of before, like when they were in their first wave of like popularity in this in the '60s. One of the guys said something like, "You know, we had we had a lot of hits, and like we made the most of it." And these guys said from the very beginning, they like, "We just want to be like, we want to be famous. We're going to get there and be famous." Yeah, they said like, "What are we going to be famous for?" Yeah, they they just wanted to like, I don't know, just follow the trend and try to like game it to be. Their thing, and they were all—they were good musicians. I mean, they were like cranking out music, from what I understand from this documentary. But uh, yeah, it, like they didn't have many uh, bones about just like, 
yeah, this is new. We'll do this and we'll try it very hard. I mean, they were hard working, I guess, but. I guess the whole hook of their band, right? It was a very interesting thing they say early on in the movie a couple of times is harmony. Mm-hmm. That's like what they're selling. Their commo- commodity is three part harmony. And that that's their value prop for any business students out there. <laughs> Noel Gallagher is saying harmony is great, but brothers singing harmony is something that you can't create. You know, it's like three voices with the same DNA doing three-part harmony. That's the magic and that's the Bee Gees. So and what's it more, makes sense. brothers as well. <laughs> you can track them from decade to decade and they can follow the trends. And when I think of the Bee Gees, I think of this like light, airy, soaring kind of sound. It doesn't really matter what rhythm section you put on underneath yeah. it. But I do think that their approach to music, this movie has so much talk of charts and success and album sales that they are just like, they're songwriters and it, it made me think of the Wayne's World quote when he's like, Led Zeppelin didn't make songs everybody l- likes. They left that to the Bee Gees because yeah. that is what the, the Bee Gees were trying to write songs that everybody likes. And I do think everybody kind of like you, the Bee Gees write songs that everybody thinks are like good decent or fine. Yeah. 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 Well, one Another thing that I thought was strange was that they talked about their process where like Morris would be on the piano also, I had a very tough time telling the difference between Morris and Robin. I watched this documentary twice, and I finally got my I head did around too. it. The, the, the older versions of each didn't look yes. like the younger versions. Right, exactly. Uh, Morris would be on the piano, and they would plunk stuff out. And then they said that they would write lyrics last. And uh, I don't know. That seems strange to me. I think uh, a lot of people do that. Isn't that kind of the way it... I mean, that's like, what I do, but I feel like I'm a fucking weirdo. And I feel like you guys write lyrics first. Uh, Jeff, you are a weirdo. No, I think I think I write lyrics first, and I think that's the wrong way of doing it. I get struck by inspiration. No, but, but, but you've yielded so many hits, uh, uh, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So many... Uh, how do you define a hit? Uh, you want to hit your head against I the like fucking it. floor I, when you listen I, to my music. No, you, you got you guys got quiet, but I was being comp. I I meant that sincerely. I th- think you come up with good stuff. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's taken us this long to finally get you to crack. <laughs> <laughs> we had to feed you full of Manhattans first, and the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah, they uh, that that the reverse engineering is another kind of smart guy move where it's like. Not inspiration, but it's craftsmanship. Oh, speaking of lyrics, it's really funny to me that when they get to um, Nights on Broadway and they reveal that the demo was Lights on Broadway and that the the label or the producers or whatever was like, guys, you got to think adult. Come on. It's, <laughs> it's got to be Nights on Broadway. Like Adults do things late. Like that's so much more risque. Yeah, it is funny though. I that's a line that stuck with me, and I thought about it a lot afterwards because it is by changing that one letter, like <laughs> being excited about the lights on Broadway is the corniest. It's like you're a little musical dork. Yes, you're like, oh my god, look at those signs, and then the nights on Broadway could mean, you know. Hey, prostitution. And by they change one letter, but the the fact that the Bee Gees are just like, okay, whatever. We don't care what we say. We we want it to be a hit. And then also, Nights on Broadway is where we get into the falsetto of it all, which is crazy to me that they had such a career before they discovered this thing that I thought was their calling card. Yeah. When Barry Gibbs said, 
I had never tried singing like that before. It's like your career is a, you're a singer by trade. You haven't like done different things with your voice at all. Yeah, I know. And their early music does have some high harmonies. I guess I just never thought whether it was falsetto or not, but that is amazing that he just changed his voice halfway through his career and started singing a different way. That song, uh, Nights on Broadway, I heard <laughs> I heard it first as SNL. The Barry Gibb talk show. Yes, of course. Oh yes, and, yes, talking it up. <laughs> so I don't I didn't know that was a real song and I love that. Talking it up on yeah. the Barry Gibb talk. And uh I always thought those sketches were very, very funny, and I thought the concept of a falsetto, the whole thing, like it's a long walk and it's a whole celebrity <laughs> talk show just based on whatever writer, I'm guessing Higgins, said that he is a, a false, what if a falsetto singer was really angry at you and was cursing you out? And that's what happens at every one of those. It's like, I'll, hit, I'll, I'll knock you to the ground. <laughs> they, they have to create a whole talk show just to get there. That's very funny. Well, Tim, Mike, you've stumbled into the vocal challenge. Whoa! Wait, before we do the vocal challenge, uh, just to wrap up this uh, Nights on Broadway song, I was surprised, my biggest surprise in the documentary is that this three-person group didn't say like, oh, and then there's another three-person group who also did a New York song in uh, 2019. Yeah. Classic New York Nights, we all love it. Yeah. It was going out of their way to not mention That's us. That's weird they didn't do that. All right, well... Go ahead, Jeff. You got something. So I've got queued up Nights on Broadway, and we're going to see which of us can compete with the Barry Gibb. Us? This is the final chorus when they really start ripping into the giving it all. This is when he found his voice. This is when, this is when they found the falsetto. His comedic voice. And, and also, you're going to see there's a high belt-out note. This is what we're expected to do. Ready? Yep. I love picturing him in the studio having this big, like, aha moment. <laughs> He's singing, his eyes are wide. Oh, I can't stop. I like that that guy, Arif, was like, we're going to have, we need to have somebody scream, but in key, just to really take it yeah. home. Mm-hmm. And that's true. That's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. And now, Mike. I, I like that when he was like, we got to do something to take this home. Now, Mike, you can't go first because you nailed Mariah so good. Okay. Tim, it's between you and me. Thank you, thank you by the way. Thank you very much. You, you want to go first? An honor. Sure. Tim, you're going first. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> wait, wait, but here's, I don't think I was doing it falsetto. I think I was yelling it from my chest. Ah! Oh my God, there it was. It was this. Ah! <laughs> that sounded good. I felt good. The way your body contorted there, Tim, while you had to get that note out was something else. I think you nailed it. The podcast listeners can't see that. Oh yes, I mean, you were straight as an, as an arrow. <laughs> Perfect posture. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here comes a J-Man. Ready? Give it up. 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 Give it up.
Your, your whole body vibrated along with it. Yeah, I sing like, uh, you know, Kermit the Frog. Miami now! That, uh, you hit it, man. Yeah, We're you got it. a couple of Gibbs. <laughs> a couple of Gibbs. The three Gibbs. The three Gibbs. Michael? Yeah, what's ha- well, I should be able to do this pretty well. Mike, you, you gotta sing the live... Blaming it all type stuff leading oh, up to oh, the big. Oh, I don't know this song very well. Well, it's all, you just vamp with them, you know. Okay, okay. Talking it up on the Barry Gibb talk show. I was th- I was thinking about uh, when I was in middle school. <laughs> I used to get a lot of my laughs because I, I was a little uh, late blooming, let's say. So I used to get a lot of my laughs from um, impersonating uh, the Bee Gees. <laughs> I had a fr- friend of mine who thought it was really funny. If a very a much more mature fellow thought it was very funny when I would sing uh, uh, some of the some of the uh, Saturday Night Fever tracks. And then when uh, puberty kicked in, your voice changed, and they and they were like, "Hey, Mike can't do the joke no more." Well, no, the worst part was when we were. Uh, like at his house in front of his mom and older sister would be like, hey, Mike does, <laughs> Mike does this Bee Gees voice. And I would do it. I was like, ah, you know, I don't really want to do it in front of me. <laughs> it's a joke between us because you're, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not really here for your mom and sister. <laughs> okay, play it up, Jeff. Here we go. Well, there you have it, folks. We are three Gibbs. Three Gibbs. Three Gibbs. You tell us who nailed it. Anyone can be the Bee Gees. We have the voices down, mm-hmm. but do we have the other thing down, which is like when when the Bee Gees were driving over a bridge and they heard the rhythm of the bridge and then they <laughs> turned that into jive talking. <laughs> you, know, you know what's weird? That seemed like a made up story. No, it's real. Do you know their, their one early song that's like, I started a joke yeah. that started the yeah, whole yeah. world crying. Although, um, also, all those early shots of them on like, uh, you know, uh, music shows where they're just like in their long neck sweaters or turtleneck sweaters, like swaying and <laughs> singing were so great. Yeah, they're dorks. Go ahead. But I, w- I was reading the Wikipedia page for that joke song i started a joke mm-hmm. and robin gibb was like well here's how i wrote that song i was flying on a plane and the plane was making this sound and then i listened and like the sound it wasn't just a plane sound it kind of became those chords in that melody uh so it was like two two different times i've heard them be like oh we we heard a vehicle making a sound and that became our hit yeah just get these guys on a get them on the road and they'll write a whole album <laughs> put them on a train jesus christ I, you know what part of, of the documentary I thought was, uh, they could have done uh, a little more on was then they, when they said, um, Maurice liked to dress up as a cop a lot and he would go to different, oh, yeah. uh, oh I loved that. Go to different towns and the cops would talk to him and like give him badges. Also, didn't they just say that Maurice would, would do magic tricks? Yeah. Yeah. And they showed a quick shot of him holding a cigarette and it disappearing and then coming. Yeah. I wish they'd showed more of Maurice's. Maurice sounds fun. I think that Morris is like a Dan Aykroyd. That's Dan Aykroyd type stuff to like. Oh, Morris, right. Matt Maurice. Uh, yeah, it's pronounced Morris. I know. But that Morris, 
Dan Aykroyd has like honorary police badges in every precinct for no reason. And I, and I was looking at him and I was like, he's kind of like. Same with Elvis Presley, by the way. Really? He fantasized being a lawman. He fantasized about peanut butter, banana sandwiches. He was like an honorary fed too. Really weird. Mm, Sounds like a narc. Did I ever tell you guys about the time I saw the uh, Bee Gees out in public? (laughs) No, you haven't mentioned it. I never told you. Uh, Really? It's an interesting story. I kind of pissed off that you haven't told us this before. I know. Well, well, you know, you don't know. I've got a lot of stories. You don't know all my stories. So I was at this sandwich shop somewhere in L.A. God, where the hell was it? Down on Fairfax, maybe? I forget. Um, Mm. But I'm in line, and there's these three guys in front of me, and they're kind of like looking like at their wallet and like t- pulling their money out. Like, do they have enough money? And I was, I kind of looked at him. I was like, Oh my God, that's the, the, the Bee Gees. They were older, obviously, but um, they're talking about like what they're going to get and how much money they had. Cause they only had cash. They kept saying, we only have cash. Uh, I wonder if they have any deals or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of them was like, yeah, I think they have a deal every Tuesday. And they're like, well, it's not Tuesday. It's Wednesday. Well, I think it's like an all week thing. And I might have a coupon. Well, did you bring it? No, but they should honor it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they're just trying to figure out a way to get like to stretch their buck, so to say. So finally, they got in the line. They're up and they they get up to the counter and they talk to the woman working at the counter. And I pulled my phone out and I just had to because I was like, God, this is the Bee Gees. <laughs> this is cool. So I, I hit record on my phone and uh, it's it's very interesting. Excuse me, ma'am, could you answer me? A question before we sit and eat Just something we need to know How cheap are your subs? How cheap are your subs? How cheap are your subs? I really mean to learn Cause we're gonna order up some food We're hangry as hell And it's almost 1.30 Wow, I hope it was buy one, get one free for this. Yeah, sake. they were very interested in buy one, get one free. Or they, then they were like, are there buy two, get one free? Because there's three of us. Um, yeah. It's amazing that that's just how, like, the documentary. Mm-hmm. Here, we watched a two-hour movie about these guys, and they never really mentioned that when these three brothers go out in public, that they would sing... <laughs> <laughs> they would, if they were having a normal conversation, that they would sing it. Yeah, and they played the music. They had the music. I it was the whole thing was wacky. That's why I'm so glad I pulled my phone out to uh, record. But uh, yeah, we're lucky that we have these days. We have phones. We could record all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just, what a time! And this must have <laughs> been um, probably no later than 2003, because that's when uh, Morris uh, died. Yeah, right. It was right before that. Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> oh, it's a couple of years before that. A couple of years. I was yeah. in L.A. on a trip. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I went out there to uh, see the stars. I, I, I was very into that. I wanted to go see the Hollywood star, the Walk of Fame. No shame in that. No, no shame in that. It's great. Hey, did you guys know that uh, they wrote that song that Dolly Parton sings with, what's his face? No, Islands in the Stream. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was interesting also about this uh, documentaries. Like they had the backlash from the disco, but they were still writing songs and making money. Yeah. Yeah. Money was not a problem for these dudes. It is a good idea to be adaptable. Yeah. I know that it, it comes off as maybe craven or opportunistic sometimes, but I've also seen videos of athletes and boxers talking about how if you want to have a real career and not just be like a talented uh, young pup, you got to be able to add to your toolbox. The thing that they were doing wasn't working anymore and they had to shift to stay relevant. And my God, they did. <laughs> God, it I worked. like it better. I mean, when you think of that song, it... It sounds like a BG song, right? And you could imagine like totally. in the stream. Hey, is that um Michael McDonald? Ghetto Superstar? Yeah, it is. It is Ghetto Superstar. Ghetto Superstar. Did they use the That's same cool. sample? Or that I mean they sampled it? They sampled it. Oh. But then they sang their own lyrics. It's a uh uh interpolation. And we'll rely on each other. Aha. <laughs> Rely on now, each other. Now, was that song in the movie Bullworth? It wasn't Bullworth. The one you're thinking of, yeah. Wait, but is that Michael McDonald she's singing with? No, Kenny Loggins. No, Kenny, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Rogers. Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Kenny Rogers. <laughs> we got this. Here I, here I am thinking Loggins? <laughs> no, no, no. Danger Zone? <laughs> Kenny, have we talked about Kenny Loggins before? How weird it is that he was in Loggins and Messina. He was a folky yeah. singing, uh, even though we ain't got money and uh, Winnie the Pooh doesn't know what to do, that he became like the 80s danger zone, the rock song movie guy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, talk about adaptable. There you go. And then he's all right. <laughs> yes, I'm all right. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, and then, uh, is it him that goes holiday row? No, that's Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. When he made, when he made the song, I'm all right. Do you think he was like, all right, I, I'm finally settling into a career where I'm making music for uh, woodchucks to dance to. <laughs> yeah. If you go to a record store, you see in the woodchuck dance section, he's, uh, there a lot. Mike, as any cinephile would know, the dancing gopher was added after the fact in the movie. So the movie was in the can. I Mike. wish I could just disappear right now. I wish I can crawl into a tiny hole and fucking kill myself because this is embarrassing. <laughs> Speaking of movies, um, you know, when we were talking about how um, that when we were kids, the disco was really funny. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, I was just thinking about. Uh, of really embarrassing. I made a bunch of uh, little movies with my friends when I was a kid, and at that time, I we made I made a movie with my friend. And it was called Disco Dude, and we were just like <laughs> <laughs> we were dancing. We were just doing the John Travolta dance, and we we're like, ha, ha, it's a funny movie called Disco Dude. But I just remembered that. <laughs> For the music, at this time, we weren't editing the movies. We were just shooting them right on the camera. So if I wanted like mu music in the movie, we would just like play it off a of boombox in the room or something. Um, but I I wanted some disco music to play in this movie, Disco Dude. Mm. And I didn't own any disco music. So I guess this is before I bought Drew's famous dance party mix. Um, so I recorded off the radio like a uh <laughs> like a boom box on a, a blank tape for two hours and just recorded off of like a local classic rock station hoping 
to get some disco music that I could uh, play. And what's funny is that like I didn't, I didn't get any disco music. So, but I just used what I got anyway. So in this. <laughs> I got to hopefully someday I could track this tape down, but there's like a movie where it's like a 10 minute movie of me being disco dude and like dancing like John Travolta. <laughs> but the song, the, the song, 10 minutes, it's like, she's my <laughs> oh, I, I wish. No, the big, the big song is California dreaming by the mamas, and the <laughs> which is fully like a 12 string guitar folky, <laughs> folky song. And I'm doing the Travolta and you're dance. doing like the pointing up, yeah. I've pulled the rug out of my living room so that it looks in my mind like a dance floor and I'm dancing to all the leaves are brown. <laughs> Dude. The the levels of like not understanding what's going on is so funny on that. But then I just thought that disco was funny, so I have to make a disco movie. Yeah. <laughs> Was disco just having a moment in like the the late 80s? It feels like played out. I I wonder you know, did media just hang out way 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 longer back then? Cuz stuff I thought was new was not new. Gremlins came out in like 83 or 84 or whatever and I saw it as like a 10-year-old right. and thought it was like new to me. Hmm. Well, stuff hung out longer for sure, but I wouldn't give myself credit to know that to have a take on something that was being presented sincerely. So I'm guessing in my case that I saw comedy making fun of it and then I was copying comedy. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think hits last a long time. Like gremlins was a hit and Saturday night fever was a hit and like uh, people making fun of them. I don't know. just lasted longer. I guess. Honestly, if you if you asked me when Back to the Future came out, I would probably say like, oh, when I was like 10. Right. It came out when I was two. And it just hit people for years and years and years with the same impact as though it was new. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Came out when I was 30. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I was just thinking about how like some things come out and they're classic and they're canonized and we live with them. Other things, they seem so strange immediately one year later. And I was just watching um, on TV, the movie, The Shape of Water. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I hate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan, not a fan. For sure. I, I, I don't think I disliked it. I think I thought it was uh, okay, but. Isn't it funny that like when you make a movie like that and it's Guillermo del Toro and he had a huge budget and he really went for it. It's like you're making that to be a modern parable to be cherished for generations. And it, it, what I, I mean, it did well. It got Oscar nominations and stuff, so he should be happy. But watching that movie even like two years later is the, just the weirdest thing ever because it's not, you know, there's certain, I guess like. From from our generation, what have we seen? Like Forrest Gump. I saw it once and then it, it's always on TV and you can always reference it and it's eternal. Mm -hmm. uh, the Shape of Water, I think, thought it was going to be that. And then it's just the weirdest thing in the world to watch it right now. Well, there's just like looking back at the uh, best of uh, winners, like uh, best picture winners, like Parasite, I think is a great movie, like kind of a classic movie that will just kind of stick around yes. because it's really done well. Yes. The year before Green Book, yeah, no one's ever going to talk about that movie again. 
I watch Green Book every Christmas with my parents. From the guys who brought you Dumb and Dumber? Hey, look, my favorite movie is Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber is great. I rewatched Dumb and Dumber recently. It's so funny and it's so good. And that's the perfect example. Timeless. We could revisit it every five years. Here's another funny thing that I was just thinking about the Bee Gees movie. Um, I, this movie gave me a, a nightmare. Really? I like, I, and it was a weird way in cause it was an okay beginning to a dream, but it ended in a nightmare. Eric Clapton is in the Bee Gees movie. Sure. And I have this thing where Eric Clapton, I came to know him in the tears in heaven era where he was middle-aged and had a beard. Me too. And whenever I see young Eric Clapton, I can't recognize him. Mm, right. And I've told you guys before that I can never recognize Sienna Miller, no matter how hard I try. I can't yeah, see her yeah, face. Uh-huh. I, I have this, maybe I'm autistic because I think this is an autistic thing, but I, everyone, there's certain like faces I can't recognize. And uh, Eric Clapton, I, you know, because I used to be like a big rock nerd and I would be encountering the Yardbirds a lot and I could never, ever recognize Eric Clapton. Anyway, this movie reminded me of that, I guess, because that night, uh, I, I had this dream where I was sitting in a living room watching the Bee Gees documentary and Eric Clap, young Eric Clapton was on the screen in the Bee Gees doc. And I said, I said out loud to the people I'm watching the documentary with Eric Clapton, <laughs> I can never re recognize him, but I got to just remember, he's got a really weak chin. And then <laughs> I, I turn I turn my head to the side to see to the people I'm watching the movie with. Uh -huh. And it's just my current day, Eric Clapton <laughs> sitting on the couch with me. And then, and I realized that I just told Eric Clapton that he has a weak chin. <gasps> and then I was like, and I, and I freaked out. I was like, no, that's not what I meant. You're Eric Clapton. I'm talking about a different Eric. And then, and then I spent the whole night, I woke up, went to the bathroom, got back in bed, went back to sleep. I spent the whole night trying to think of another Eric that I could say. <laughs> like you never fully woke up, maybe? I never fully woke up and I would just keep getting back into bed and continuing dreaming like me saying to Eric Clapton, I didn't mean you. I was talking about a different Eric. And then I eventually told him, I was talking about Eric Burden from The Animals. <laughs> <laughs> and he bought it. Hey, he bought it. I, I hate those. I, I get those a lot if I'm like sick with the flu or something and I have like the same dream over and over again. Yeah. Your brain gets stuck on something. It's the worst. I had one where, you know, the Wells Fargo uh, little like the, the logo is a uh, horse carriage. Stagecoach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah horse yeah. carriage. I had one where just like I kept seeing that like running. And I had to figure out, like, I couldn't think of where, what the bank it was associated with. And all night, I'm, like, thinking, like, what bank is that little thing associated <laughs> with? As I'm with the flu. Have you ever seen uh, The Man Who Would Be Polka King? No. Is that a Jack Black movie? It was a documentary, and then there's a Jack Black movie based on it. Okay. Um, and my mom's Polish, so I showed her this documentary, and she loved it. And then the same night, I was like, oh, let's watch this Jack Black movie as well. So we watched them both back to back, and then the next morning, she was like, I couldn't sleep a wink because I was trying to keep track of what was in, <laughs> what was in the documentary <laughs> and what was in the real movie, what was real and what was fake. And, and she lost the whole night of sleep to that. <laughs> Sad.
This is, this sad. is sad. I wish you had gotten that night of sleep back. Yeah. Well, what did you guys think? Um, hold on. What do we where where do we want to go? Yeah, let's wrap her up. Okay. Final thoughts on the movie? Yeah. So final thoughts on the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? I thought it was uh, pretty awesome, and it made me respect the Bee Gees more than I expected, and it made me sad that only Robin is alive and had to remember three dead brothers. Barry's alive. Barry's alive. Barry. Oh, yes. Barry, 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 Barry. Yeah, that is sad. I, I um... I didn't know anything about the Bee Gees, really. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see uh, their story and see what they were up to. I give it a, hey, if you like music, you should watch. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't even feel like a movie. It feels like a VH1 special or something. Um, but I enjoyed it, and I liked the band, and they should be taken lightly, and the movie should be taken lightly. And here was my takeaway. I was wondering, I was just thinking after the fact, do you guys like harmony? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, sure. Well, that's what I was wondering about. Because their whole band is just based on... You gotta... I don't know that I really like harmony. Uh, mm. uh, but some people are like, oh my God. Like, I like Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. But I like Simon better. Get out of here. And, uh, <laughs> and then I like the Bee Gees, but I think I like Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton better. No. Interesting. I think there's a little, I think there's something about harmony that is, does more for other people than it does for me. So when you hear the Beatles, because the world is round, you're like, I wish that was one person singing that. Well, that's like a novelty song that only exists because of the harmony. Like that would be a terrible song. What? <laughs> if that, but if that was one guy going, because the world is round. Tom, that, uh, <laughs> Tim, that line of question, I could just called you Tom. Tim, that line of questioning uh, led me to believe we were going into some, some setup of a joke you had. <laughs> That's a problem I have a lot in my life is that I uh, lots of times I'm talking bullshit so much that then when I'm being serious. He's jive talking. <laughs> Talking. <laughs> what I I haven't read the lyrics to that whole song, but that sounds like the I don't, I don't like them singing about jive talking. That's you know. But that's where it came from. The we drove on a bridge. Here's what we do for our band. Uh -huh. Let's go on a road trip. We're going over the Golden Gate Bridge. We're going over the George Washington Bridge. We'll drive on all sorts of materials. Yeah, well, <laughs> every <laughs> material we can get our hands on. I'll, I would love to drive on a cobblestone street and see what that turns up. It'll probably be a bumpy album. The movie was the type of movie you want to see and just listen to some songs the next day from the Bee Gees and go, oh yeah, the Bee Gees. All right. Glad I listened. The Barry Gibbs. See, to, uh, Mike, that sounds like faint praise to me. I thought it was the best piece of cinema I've ever witnessed. I'm challenging you. And I hope it wins the Oscar for best film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you have it. And that's, hey, that's coming for me, Mr. Mank. Mr. Mank? Yeah, I love Mank. Well, that's it for the Bee Gees. Guys, 
Uh, let's l- take a look at some mail. Hell yeah. Joseph writes, Good afternoon, boys. Been enjoying the main podcast and blowout. Almost caught up and it's just been perfect. Yeah, we know, Joe. Thank you. Cool. 10 out of 10 <laughs> from Joe. Lots of laughs and fond memories already. Let's get to it, Joe. What's your question, bud? Hey, get, leave Joe alone. I like him. I've been wondering, how did you three meet? Would you ever consider going deep on the Sloppy Boys lore? Love it when you dip into stories from your early career and pre-career. Not only how did you meet, but how did the birthday boys come together? And from that, how did the Sloppy Boys form? Did you have any formative influences that you were emulating forming a band? Anyway, thanks for starting the podcast. It's the best. Cheers, Joseph. That's a lot, Joseph. Here's what I'll say to Joe. Where are you going with that gun in your hand? Oh, come that on. That is a Jimi Hendrix. I'm just riffing on Hendrix. But that's a Jimi Hendrix cover of somebody else, and I can't remember the original band, and it's killing me. I wonder if it was this uh, person who wrote in. Um, I personally remember not just the era or around the time. I remember distinctly uh-huh. the two separate occasions I met both of you. <gasps> I remember everything about them, but I don't know, you know, like, should I be saving it for my oral history on the sloppy book? No, no, Tim, this is good because I am foggy, but you're always the memory man. Yeah, you got a good memory. Oh. Well, who, who are you? Uh, Wait, I, I stepped away. Who are you? Uh, he says he remembers distinctly meeting both of us. And I, and I said, that's bullshit. Prove it, dude. Doesn't this, I mean, we've covered this before, haven't we? I don't think we have. I'm I think sure the, we the have. The tabloids somewhere. have had a field day with it. That's for Just damn humor sure. Joseph, will you? Okay, uh, Mike. Ithaca College Campus Center, I'm sitting at a table. You're signing up to write for a IC TV show. Mm-hmm. Jeff, Circle Apartments, uh, you are friends with my neighbors. Me and my friends come over and we are joking about drinking Sam Adams's. Oh, Tim. Wow. The earliest memory I have of Tim is making fun of Boston guys, which probably came from that Sam Adams thing. Or no. There you go. Because I remember... You know, your friends or my friends or uh, Boston is very close to Ithaca. So I think we had a lot of Boston dudes visiting. And the joke that kept coming up that I thought you did really funny was like, yeah, I'm having a great time, but I packed in a red lot. (laughs) Isn't it funny that that was like Boston as a culture has been so, and in sketch comedy and everywhere, it's like the most well-worn territory. Yeah. But like me at 18 or whatever was observing that like with my own, because Ithaca College is in upstate New York. It's a New York school, but there were like a lot of Boston people. And I remember like making my friends laugh by doing Boston accent a lot. And I thought I was a comedy genius. (laughs) Hey man, worked on me. There you go. Um, yeah, that's how I made friends with that Barry Gibb impression back, way back when. Yeah. Um, do, uh, here's the, here's some advice. Do some bad impressions for idiots and you'll be <laughs> well-liked. <laughs> it's very important that the other people are idiots while you're doing your bad impressions. Yes, yes. I was in a TV writing class with you, Mike, but we weren't bros back then. No, we weren't. I, yeah, did, is that where I met you? I think uh, we were in Cynthia Savaglio's TV writing class, I believe. I took that class, but no, it wasn't. Semester. It wasn't her. It was 
I, I yeah, it was somebody else. Elizabeth Nonus. Nonus. Elizabeth Nonus. No, she was film. It was somebody else. What the fuck? Jeff, you and I, I remember Jeff and I met each other in the back room of this poker house. We had both lost a lot of money and we had to get out of there quick. <laughs> I think I owned the club and I, I came out mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, you two guys, I don't want you <laughs> hanging out around here no more unless you join up with me in a band. And I was like, Mike, I don't know you and you don't know me, but we got to put our heads together and get out of this one. <laughs> By joining Tim's band. And Joseph, Joseph, you're going to hear a lot more fun stories from us. You, you caught us at the end of a long drinking night. I hope that answers your question, Joseph. If you've got a question for the boys, email us at the sloppy boys podcast at gmail.com. Have we changed that yet to the sloppity poppity boys at gmail.com? I thought we were going to change it to Slimzity Pimzities. Well, folks, that's going to do it for the blow up this week. We love you. We're so glad the Patrons have been joining us. Uh, check out the uh, Bee Gees documentary. As you can tell, we all loved it <laughs> <laughs> to a degree. Uh, shit, man. What else can you say other than toodaloo? Peace be with you. Bye, Patrons.